Zane in the front here. Uh, just in the foyer there. If you look on, uh, I don't know which page it is. Uh, I think it's maybe, uh, I think it's number 12. Oh, look at that. Here it is, number 12. Amazing article of Kobe Hart in the church. Uh, Kobe and Steve Hart. There's amazing testimony of what God has done in their lives. So I encourage you, there's only a limited copy of there, but I encourage you, have a look, read the story. And uh, Kobe is an amazing woman of God, and, and uh, she's married to an amazing man, Steve. And uh, we've got Kobe going to be preaching uh, in July. So she's an amazing evangelist. So get ready for Kobe Hart to be preaching. Love to have um, Peter and Sandy preach again sometime soon. So uh, it's going to be fantastic. So, hey, I've got some good news. I found out that I've got a B. I passed my, my thesis. So yeah. So yeah, it was a big part that was major. That was the most uh, significant part of my study uh, doing the thesis. So I did a, a thesis on leadership transition a little bit further than that, but um, essentially it was about the, uh, the issues or factors that affect uh, leadership succession, and uh, it's a master's program, and I've got a B, so that's not too bad. And I didn't do that good at school, so I was a little bit nervous about going into the whole thing anyway, but um, anyway, the Lord helped me, and, uh, and the Lord helped me wa- overcome some of the fears and insecurities that I have in my heart. And uh, if you look, on, if you go to mum and dad's wall and you'll see a, a picture of all the wall, on the wall of all the kids that have graduated and there's one missing. <laughs> so end of this year. So it really doesn't matter how smart or how clever you are. God can still use you powerfully. Amen. God can still use you powerfully. And this morning, I really want to encourage you and bless you. And I want to inspire you afresh this morning. Uh, and just in preparing for this message, this here is... Um, this really, this message this morning really encapsulates who we are as a church, why Bay City exists. And uh, we're going to just read through a story. We're going to just look at one story, and then we're just in the Old Testament, then we're going to bring it into the New Testament and, and bring it forward to today. But this really encapsulates, it defines who we are as a church, defines what makes us as, as Bay City. And uh, the story starts back in 1 Samuel chapter 8. We read a story about, um, about the first king of Israel, and his name was, somebody tell me who it is, the first king of Israel, Saul. And uh, the last time I preached, we uh, talked about in Revelation uh, that, that he has made us kings and priests, kings and priests uh, unto our God. So if you're here and you have received Jesus Christ in, into your heart, you are a king and a priest, the different, different functions, but we are kings and priests. And of course, some of the one of the questions that you may have after that would be, okay, well, how does that change my life today? <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> okay, so I'm a king unto the God, unto a God, I'm a priest. What do I do? What do I do with that? What does that mean? How does that look in my life? And uh, so I want to just have a look at a, a scripture this morning. And uh, this, this story is about Saul. Now, Saul... The Bible says in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8, I won't read that right now, but it says that he was the son of a very mighty and powerful man. He is the son of a mighty and powerful man. And the Bible says that Saul himself was a very handsome looking fellow, much like some of the guys here. Very, very handsome, very good looking. And all the ladies said. (laughs) Very handsome. The Bible also says that he was head and shoulders above everyone else. So he was a man that was handsome, he was good looking, he was the son of a really, really mighty man, 
and he was head and shoulders above everyone else. And you know what he did for a job? Well, it doesn't really say, but the, the kind of scriptures give a, an, an idea that he was, he looked after his father's donkeys. <laughs> he worked with animals, so he wasn't, he wasn't a, a noble person, he didn't have a noble occupation. He was a donkey herder. He was a donkey herder. And, uh, and one of the things that uh, we, we see him, that he, he worked with donkeys, and he also worked with his, his father's livestock. But this is a man that God had anointed king. So one of the things that it talks about in 1 Samuel chapter, I think, 9 it is, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 16, and the Israelites, the people of God, were being continually harassed by the Philistines. Continually harassed by the Philistines. And then the Bible says that uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 16, that Saul was a mighty man of God, called to save God's people from the hands of the Philistines. We see in that verse that God said that their cry has come up to me. Their cry, the cry of God's people. The cry of people has come up to me. And I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to set a man, I'm going to establish a man that's going to do something about that. And today I believe that even today in the world that we live in, there is still a cry that goes up from people. Save us, save me. Today we might not have a physical Philistine facing us. But in many respects, we have our own Philistine in our different parts of our life. We have, uh, we have more of a spiritual uh, Philistine that comes and harasses and torments people. And everywhere we go, we see people that are set up a cry. Maybe it's uh, outward or maybe it's inward. But all, everywhere you look, you see people still looking and still crying out for hope somewhere. Sometimes they're not even sure what they're looking for hope from. But everywhere we look in society today, People are looking for hope. People are still going to cry in their heart, save me, save me. So God had raised up this man who was a donkey herder to come out and save them from the hands of the Philistines. And so we read in, in Samuel chapter 10 that, God is, that Saul is anointed as king. He's anointed as the first king of Israel. He was a shepherd or a donkey herder and actually wasn't necessarily received by everyone. This is the first king, so... Uh, so the Israelites have never actually lived under a kingship before. This is the first king. Saul had no idea what, to mean, what it means to be a king. He must have been in the same place. Okay, I've been anointed as king over Israel. Now what? I've got no idea what that means. I've got no idea what that even means. What do I even do as a king? It's like, there is no experience. There's no framework. There's no frame of reference for Saul to operate from. And sometimes I think that's, that's what it's like for us. I've never been a king. However, God has made me a king. So what do I do? How does that actually outwork? And the other week when I preached about, uh, about the making or breaking of kings. You know, kings, I believe, are made. We are appointed as kings, anointed as kings. But there are times in our lives where we get to stand up, where what we are called to do, when I mean, there's a time and a place, and when those things come together, a king or a queen emerges. So David was anointed king. But there was a time when he had to stand up and become king. So just because you're an anointed as a king or a, a, as a priest, there becomes a time in our life where there are circumstances, when there are opportunities that are presented to us where kings and queens are made. And here is an opportunity. So the Bible says, let's, let's just read on, <coughs> excuse me, a little bit. In uh, 1 Samuel chapter 11, 1 Samuel chapter 11. Now Nahash, <coughs> excuse me, the Ammonite came up and encamped 
against Jabesh, Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahish, however you say that, make a covenant with us and we will serve you. And Nahish, the Ammonite, answered them, on this condition will I make a covenant with you that I will put out all your right eyes and bring reproach upon Israel. In verse 3, and then the elders of Jabesh said to him, hold off for seven days. Whoa, 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 that sounds like a pretty hard out there, man. Hold off for seven days that we may send messages to all the territory of Israel. And then, if there is no one to save us, if there is no one out there that will help us, then we will make a covenant with you. Remember this. If there is no one out there to help us, then we will make a covenant with you. And so the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and told the news, and in the hearing of the people, and all their people lifted up their voices and wept. And there was Saul coming from behind the herd from the field. So this is after Saul had been anointed king. So after he's anointed king, what does he do? I don't know. Go back to the sheep, I guess. But that's what it says. It's like, so Saul had already been called and anointed of God. After being anointed of God, what did he do? Well, he just went back to his job. He was anointed on the way to find his, uh, his father's lost donkeys. <laughs> and then when the time came, after he was anointed king, the Bible says he went back to his job. Sometimes, you know, we come to a meeting and we feel the anointing and the presence of God come upon us and, and we go back to the job. Whether it be the electrician, whether we go back to farming, whether we go back to cutting wood, mowing lawns, sanding floors, laying carpet, teaching, whatever we do. Sometimes it's like I say, okay, that's good. I've been anointed by God. Then we go back and now what? <laughs> How does that work out? So the Bible says that Saul, after he'd been anointed king, went back and was looking after the donkeys. And so one of the things that we see here is that an enemy, a, a, a great army had come around and surrounded the city. The Bible says it, 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 they encamped the city. They besieged it. One of the words uh, that could describe it is that they oppressed them. This king, uh, his, the, the, the name of his word, the, name, the meaning of his name means snake or serpent. So we're going to just stack all this up. You're going to see we're going to progress it along a little bit further. So here we had this king. His name was Snake or Serpent. And he came around and he camped against the people. He had camped against the city. And he oppressed them. And this, this king was a very particularly a nasty king. He made a demand. It's one of the things that we see that he made a demand against them. He, he, he came around them. He threatened them. He tormented them. He harassed them. He put them under oppression. And then he made an opportunity with them. He must have said, either surrender to us or we're going to come through and wipe you all out. We're going to kill the lot of you. So here we have, we have the people of the city of, um, what was the city called? Sorry again. Funny word. So we have the people of the city of, of, against Jabesh, the, the people of Jabesh threatened by this king and uh, whose name was Snake. Make a covenant with us. So one of the things he, they said was, there's only one way out of this. Either we have to make a covenant and get free, or we're going to be destroyed. This is a very tough place to be in. So Nahash, the, uh, the Ammonite, answered him, on this condition will I make a covenant with you. <coughs> Excuse me. So this is, you understand the scenario. 
There is no hope for these people. Their only hope, either they were going to die or they had to find a way to get out of their situation. The only way that they could make a, get out of their situation was to enter into a covenant with the snake. Friends, you see the same thing in, in the world today. People find themselves in a place of hopelessness with nowhere to turn to. They don't know that there is a saviour. They don't know that there is somebody out there that can help them. So for many people, unwittingly, they enter into a covenant with what they think is a good person, but actually is a snake. People look for hope inside of their lives, and because for many of us, for, for in many of the places that the church has been found asleep, they don't know where to turn to. So they enter into a covenant with the devil. We find that so many people in terms of in the, in, in looking for hope for their lives, they look for hope in all the wrong places. And so this, this, um, this king said, made a demand. First, it was to glorify himself and to humi- by humiliating the men in the city. One of the things that you'll find is when people look <coughs> excuse me, for help for the snake, when people look for help from the wrong places, when people start to enter into a covenant with these people, with, with the devil, one of the things you've got to know that, yeah, you might be, your, your life might be initially saved, but you're going to live your life in reproach. One of the things that he made this demand, first it was to glorify himself. By half blinding the men, this would bring a reproach upon all of Israel by making Israel look weak and unable to prevent such an atrocity. So if you look, if you really look into it, it means that every man in the city will have his right eye plucked out. Talks about vision. Take away the part of your vision. Take Take away this part of your vision. What it does when it takes the right eye away what they would do is they'd hold their shield with their left hand and their sword with the right hand. And with their right eye, they'd look past the shield. So there was no way to defend themselves. If they had their right eye taken away, they had no vision for their life. And we know what it's like when people don't have a vision for their life, when people don't understand that they are created in the image of God. They get, start to lure, they get lured away into covenant with things that they shouldn't be in covenant with. Embarrassing and a horrible position for the people to be in. One of the things we see now is so many people being brought into reproach or brought into shame. We see great people in our community today that have been entered into a covenant with with the devil, entered into a covenant with with something that they shouldn't have entered into. Instead of reaching out for God, they've entered into a covenant with somebody that's humiliating them, bringing reproach against them, and taking away their vision. This is the covenant that these people entered into. In order to sacrifice, in order that they may live, this was the condition. That they become not just slaves, but they remove their vision. They'll be oppressed, taking their sight, taking their vision, be under a place of reproach. And so sadly, when you look around so many people, I see people in a similar position. People that are gifted, people that, are, that I believe that are anointed to do great works. God's people, people in their own community, people that could be... Uh, bringing hope to other people, yet they've been put under a place of reproach. I see out in in our own community today, we see people that it's almost like they've got one eye plucked out. They can see, but they can't see any sense of purpose for their life. In order to find hope, they've sacrificed vision. Maybe you'll see people around you like that, and everywhere we look, people are like that. People are bound. People are oppressed. People have got no vision. People are oppressed by the devil. People have got reproach over their lives. 
Maybe you know somebody like that. Maybe you know people around you. I was speaking to my bank manager the other day, and uh, she started to pour out her heart and, and talk to me about her daughter having, uh, having severe depression. And she had no hope. She had no way, no way to find out, no, no way to find healing. No way. She, they tried doctors, no, no hope. I said, do I know somebody that could help you? <laughs> when you get stuck, you let me know. She said, I'll do that. But one of the things we find in our own community, we see people that have no hope, oppressed by the devil, looking for somebody. And you see these people, they set out, held out for seven days. If there is no one else, we're going to try and find somebody to help us. And if there is no one to help us, then we'll enter into a covenant with you. How bad for God's people to be able to, in that position, surrounded by an enemy, threatening to bring reproach and pluck out their eyes. And they say, if there is no one there to help us, then we will find, then we will make it into a covenant with you. And then, the, then, the, then the Saul was coming from behind the herd. One of the things we see was Saul, the humility of the king of Israel. Saul was already anointed and recognized him as king, yet in a sense there was nothing for him to do. He really didn't know at what time this whole kingship was going to happen. Okay, I've been anointed. Now what? When's it all going to happen? When's it all going to come together? And sometimes we find ourselves in that same position. We're anointed, but really don't know what to do. But one of the things about Saul did, he went back home and went to work in the field again. and figured that God would tell him when the time was right. Friends, we've got to learn to trust God. One of the things that Saul did was a king is he went back and worked in the field. Trusted God that at the time was right, that God would bring him forth. Saul was, going wise, Saul was wise in going back to the farm. He knew it was the Lord's job to raise him up, not his own job to assert it. Friends, as kings, allow God to anoint you and also allow God to raise you up in his good time. God will create times, God will create moments for you to emerge. He didn't have to promote himself or do anything like that. He trusted that the Lord would do it. The Lord said, and then Saul said, what troubles the people that they're crying? What troubles the people that they're upset? And of course they poured out and told him uh, what the problem was. And then the Bible says that when they told him the words of the men of Jabesh, so when, they, when Saul heard about his people, when Saul heard that the people that he was made king over were in such a trouble, I love these next words, then the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. When you watch what happens after this, when the spirit of God comes on a person, this is a donkey farmer, this is a sheep herder. Right? But when the spirit of the Lord came upon a donkey farmer, a donkey herder, a sheep herder, something powerful happened. Friends, when, when you're anointed by God and then the spirit of God comes upon you, it doesn't matter what you do for a job, something powerful happens. One of the things that you notice that does not happen, what does not happen is, what it doesn't say is Saul fell on the ground and shook and laughed and giggled or anything like that. He didn't astral travel into another planet. He didn't travel in the spirit somewhere. He didn't do any of that. The Bible says what Saul did, something in the spirit rose up. When he heard what was going on in the people out in his community, when he heard what was happening to these people, when we heard the distress that these people were under, there was something rose up in his spirit. The Bible says that the spirit 
of God, the Spirit of God came upon Saul. It was time to act. The Spirit of God came upon Saul, not to just entertain him, not to give him goosebumps, not to slay him down, not to give him uh, dreams or anything like that. All those things are great, but this time when the Spirit of God came upon Saul, something inside him rose up. The king inside him rose up. Friends, when the Spirit of God comes upon you, sometimes it's to give you a little good feeling, give you goosebumps or something. But friends, it is much, much more than that. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon us much more than that just to give you a goosebump. Not to give you a, a feather. All those things are great. But when the Holy Spirit of God comes upon, it is for something. The Spirit of the God came upon Saul, not just to give him, not to entertain him, not to give him a thrill, not to give him a goosebump, but he did something else. It came to equip him for service, that he could do something powerful for God. The Bible says when when this, when this donkey herder, when the Spirit of God came on him, something arose inside of his heart. The Bible says what he did, he saw a yoke and he picked that thing up and he tore it apart with his bare hands. <laughs> tore it apart with his bare hands. The Bible says that he went out and he basically threatened everyone. <laughs> he said, no, we're going to go and sort out these people. If you're with us, if, you're not gonna, if you don't turn up for battle, if you don't turn up to fight, you're going to be like this doodacky, this yoke that I just tore apart. That is a pretty powerful call. There are people out there that need our help. And the king rises up, tears this thing apart, says, I'm going to do something about it, and if you're not going to do anything about it, if you're not going to come and help, then I'm going to pull you apart. I mean, it's kind of different now. Of course, I wouldn't pull you apart. But however, <laughs> the point being when the Spirit of God comes upon somebody to do something, to make something happen, it's to shift something over somebody's lives. Friends, there is an army, there is a, there is a force that is around our community, that's around people today. That is what the anointing is for, to shift if it can come on a donkey herder, it can come on a floor sander, it can come on a primary school teacher, it can come on a truck driver, he can come on upon a farmer, he can come on upon an orchardist, he can come upon any person when the Spirit of God comes upon a person, transforms their life. So he comes forward. So his anger was greatly aroused, and he took a yoke of oxen and cut it into pieces. Whoever does not come out with Saul and Samuel to battle, so there shall this be happened to his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell upon the people, and they come out with what? They come out with one consent. They came out together in unity. We're going to sort this issue out. We're going to sort this army out. These are our people. These are our, these are our brethren. We're going to remove this army. The Bible goes on to say that they, they, fought, a wonderful, they fought this amazing battle and, and set the city free. In verse 14, it says, Samuel said to the people, come, let us go back to Gilgal and what? Renew the kingdom. Listen to these words. Listen to the words that are being used here. Listen to the metaphors. Listen to the picture that's been, been told. Samuel said to the people, come, let's go back to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. So all the people went to Gilgal and then they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. And they rejoiced greatly and made sacrifices of priests. Uh, peace offerings before the Lord. And Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Amazing victory. Brought about, brought about a great uh, 
a great deliverance, great freedom. All the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Let's jump forward a few, a few uh, a thousand odd years. Come to Jesus. <coughs> so Jesus uh, arrives on this earth. And Jesus stands up in, in Luke 4, chapter 18. We know Jesus, uh, when he came to his earth, his mission was to bring hope to, the people, to his people. So for all these years, we know that people uh, had, been pro- had, had heard prophecies that someday there will be a deliverer that would come and set them free from the oppressor. So arrives, Jesus arrives on the, on the scene. And they all thought that Jesus was going to overthrow, uh, overthrow the Roman Empire. But Jesus stands up in, in Luke 4, verse 18. And so the Spirit of God comes on him in a different way. So prior to this, when the Spirit of God came on a person to set people free, it was usually done by a physical sword or a spear. Cut them to pieces. This time it was different. This time Jesus stands up, and the Bible says in Luke 4, verse 14, and Jesus returned in the what? The power of the Spirit. And news of him went to, throughout all the surrounding region, and he taught in the synagogues and been glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and as he was custom was, he went into the church on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. He was handed the book by the prophet Isaiah, and when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. This, my friend, is the guts of who we are as a church. For the Spirit of the, for the, Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he is me too. Preach the gospel. What else? Here we go. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. You can see the similarities between Saul. It's to set at, set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He closed the book and gave it back to his attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your midst. What you've read about in the prophet Isaiah, today it's happening. We can see now the shift from the Spirit of the Lord moving powerfully to cut people into pieces and to thrust them through the spear, to now coming to a different manifestation, to deal with principalities and powers that hold people in bondage. I love what's been happening with Pete and Sandy in Elijah House. This is, my friends, is what it's all about, to get those who have been oppressed by the devil, bring them hope, bring them vision, bring them a sense of purpose back into their lives, set them free from the oppressor. Friends, we don't have to look very far to see that people are still in need of a hope. They are still in need of a savior. They are still in need of a deliverer. Somebody, somebody that will come with the spirit of the God and say, I've got the answer. I know how to break that bondage off your life. I know somebody that can help you. I know somebody that can put hope and vision back into your life. You don't need to listen to that. Friends, you have got a hope for your life. You are created in the image of God. You don't need to be doing that sort of stuff. If you're broken in your heart, I know how to heal you. I know somebody that can touch you and set you free. Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Let's jump forward a few more years. And this is where it encapsulates the most amazing day today, the most amazing day today that we can ever celebrate, I believe. The Bible says that, let's go jump, jump forward a little bit further, and then we're just going to close up. We'll jump forward to, uh, back to Acts, Acts chapter 1. 
Acts chapter 1. Everyone got your Bibles there? And this is where Jesus left, and the Holy Spirit was promised. In verse 4, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to part for Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which you have set, which you have heard from me. For John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit in not many days from there. Before, when they came to him together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But, in verse 8, but you shall what? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has what? Come upon you. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be what? Witnesses to me. In other words, you shall be witnesses. You shall demonstrate the same anointing that is upon my life. You're going to carry it and you're going to reflect the life that I've already just lived. You're going to give witnesses to me. Your life will give testimony that my life, that the life that Jesus Christ brought hope and resurrection power to so many people. You're going to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's the promise of the Holy Spirit. And when in chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, and when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one place, all in one accord. And suddenly, Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind. And the whole house was filled where they were sitting. There were like tongues of fire sitting upon them. They all began to speak and be able to be filled with the Holy Spirit, be able to speak in other tongues. The Bible goes on to say that the crowd was amazed. Something automatically changed in Peter's heart. Somebody who was a fisherman all of a sudden got baptized with the Holy Spirit literally transformed his life on the spot right there. That man that was once afraid to stand up for God, when the Holy Spirit came upon him, my goodness, there's something changed. He got out in the very same place, in the very same place that Jesus was crucified, and he started to declare the wondrous works, the risen Savior. The Bible says that in that one day alone, thousands were added to the church. Friends, today we celebrate that day. Today is Pentecost Sunday where the Spirit of God not just came upon Saul to set uh, uh, the, the city free, not just to came upon Jesus to, set, uh, to give us hope and freedom, but he came upon the whole church. And today we celebrate that day as Pentecost Sunday. Today we celebrate the day where the Holy Spirit was not just given to one or two people. Oh, come on, you can do better than that. Today we celebrate the day where the Holy Spirit not just came upon Saul, didn't just come upon David, just didn't come upon Jesus, but the day that Holy Spirit came upon all believers. The day will come when the Spirit of God will be poured out upon all flesh. Today we celebrate that day, the day where the Holy Spirit was poured out upon all flesh. Today with the day the church that we know it today was birthed. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Today, we celebrate that day. Today, there are people in our community asking the same question that was right from the start. Is there anyone there that could save us? We're under threat. They're going to pluck our eyes out. They're besieging us. 
They're going to do horrible things to us. They're going to bring reproach upon our lives. Is there somebody that can save us? Is there somebody that can save us? The Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul. Today there are people in our community. I wonder tonight, right now as we speak, I wonder the people around you, maybe your bank manager, maybe your neighbor, maybe somebody around your life, somewhere in their life, they're being deceived. They're looking for hope. Carrying reproach of sin on their life. Maybe they've entered into a covenant with somebody. They've taken their vision, they've taken hope for their life. They live in disgrace, live in shame. Is there anybody that could help me? Is there anybody that could save me? Today, that prayer still goes out for people. God, there's somebody that can save me. Friends, that is the reason why we celebrate Pentecost Sunday today. That the Holy Spirit of God will be poured out upon every one of us again today. I wonder what would be, wonder what would happen in your life when the Spirit of the Lord rises up inside of your life. God has called you, me, the church of God, His church, to bring hope, tangible hope to the community around us. Friends, that's why we exist as a church. The anointing, like Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon thee to preach the gospel. Friends, as Bay City Outreach Center, this is why we exist. I love the manifestations of the gifts. However, let's keep the main thing the main thing. Let's major on the major. Let's not major on the minor. The major is this, to bring hope to people. That's the major. I'm so grateful to every one of you that have gone through Elijah House. Cry out there, is there somebody somebody that's got the tools. I've got somebody that can help me. Friends, if you're here today and you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you've got the answer. Why do you stand up and bring that Holy Spirit to people? If you haven't been involved in Elijah House, been part of that ministry, I'd love for you to get in behind that. So, Pete and Sandy, you guys just did amazing work. And uh, just fantastic. Why don't we just stand to our feet right now? Why don't we just stand up? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit of God. Come on, lift your, lift your hands to Him right now. Holy Spirit. They're all in one place, all one accord. Holy Spirit. Suddenly there was a sound of a lush, mighty rushing wind. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Church multiplied thousands in one day. Holy Spirit, we celebrate, we thank you today that you have been poured out upon our lives afresh. Today, Holy Spirit, we thank you for touching our lives. We thank you for the work that you've done in our lives today, Holy Spirit. God, we just pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would stir up in our lives afresh today, right now. 
Spirit of God, stir within our hearts afresh. Spirit of God, stir within our hearts afresh. Pour out afresh like you did on that day. Today we celebrate your pouring out upon our lives. Today would you come again and pour out upon Bay City. Pour out upon our lives afresh, Holy Spirit. Come on, what are you hunger for right now? Hunger for him right now. Holy Spirit, would you come and touch us? Don't just give us goosebumps, Holy Spirit. Rise up within us, men of God. How great are you, God? God, we know that there's a community out there that needs the touch of you. Crying out, somebody, is there somebody out there that will save us? Today we acknowledge that you have the same Holy Spirit that came upon Saul. You're the same Holy Spirit that anointed Jesus. You're the same Holy Spirit that fell on that day. Holy Spirit, would you fall upon us today? Holy Spirit, today would you cause us to get out of our comfort zone, to stand up and to reach our community today. In Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, would you fall afresh upon us right now? How great is that, God? Come on. I encourage you today. With the Holy Spirit. If you have not been filled with the Spirit of God, I'd love for you to pray for you right now. We're just going to worship. If you want to come up to the front and just allow the Holy Spirit just to come upon your life afresh, you just do that. But I encourage you today, this is why we exist as a church to reach our community, to bring the hope of Jesus Christ to the oppressed, to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to those that don't know to bring sight to those that are blind, to bring hope to those that are oppressed, to set free those who are bondage up for the devil. That is why we exist as a church. Come on, if you want to worship us this morning, why don't you come to the front and let's celebrate the pouring out of the wonderful Holy Spirit. Amen. Come on, let's worship Him today. How great is our God? How great is our God? Sing with me, how great is our God, and I will see how great, how great is our God, how great is our God, how great is our God, sing with me, how great is our God. And I will see how great, how great is our God, yeah. Cause he's a name above all names. You are worthy of all praise. My heart will say. 